Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So glad that you are joining us today. And this is actually part three on the subject of how to have audacious hope. I don't know about you, but I don't just need hope. I need some audacious hope. It was Corey Tin Boone who said, If you look at the world, you'll get distressed. If you look within, you will be depressed. If you look at God, you'll be at rest. You see, our joy comes from the Lord. Our hope comes from the Lord. So I hope you've already listened to the first two broadcasts. And let me just give a quick synopsis of where we've been. We have learned so far that if I'm going to live with audacious hope, I must be drawing near to God in faith. Hebrews 10, 21 and 22 reminds us that we should draw to God with a sincere heart full of assurance of faith. In other words, I have my confidence in Christ. The reason my hope is diminishing is because my confidence is no longer in Him. And then we looked at Psalm 63, and we asked some questions to see whether or not we are being drawn in full assurance, being drawn into the faith. The second thing we learned is that we can have audacious hope by determining to be hopeful, where Paul tells us to to hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. I am determined to be hopeful, and I'm as hopeful as I determined to be. You see, the choice is ours. If you choose not to be hopeful, then guess what? You won't live in hope. But if you choose hope, you will discover that you can have an overflowing abundance of hope. That's why I tell the guys at the prison, I'm not a dope dealer. I'm a hope dealer. Our Celebrate Recovery leader, Greg, gave me a wonderful t-shirt Sunday night, and it says, Hope Dealer. And that's what I'm involved in, passing out hope wherever I go. And I hope you're doing the same thing. Because the more you determine to be hopeful, the more you are filled with hope. And then we learn number three. And that's kind of where we dropped off the broadcast yesterday. We talked about the fact that we must be involved in exhortation. Paul says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and toward good deeds. The hope in Christ is spurring one another on. So the emphasis is keep on loving as Christ keeps loving. Keep on spurring as Christ keeps spurring us on. You see, the work of the Holy Spirit is not only to comfort us, not only to instruct us, but sometimes it convicts us. That's that spurring, right? And I think when Paul wrote this, maybe he was thinking about his trip to Damascus in Acts chapter 9, where the voice from heaven, Jesus begins to speak to him and says, now, Paul, it's hard for you to kick against the goats. In other words, it's hard to go against the spurring of the Holy Spirit. So when we spur people on, we are loving them and we're bringing them into unity. You know, when that horse begins to refuse to move ahead, he's not going along in unity. So you spur him along. It's called to stay the course. I love studying history. And one of my favorite characters in history is a guy by the name of Winston Churchill. On October 29th, 1941, 10 months after Germany declared war on England, Winston Churchill 
and the people of England had to muster up their troops and get ready for war. Well, they brought in teenage boys and trained them to be soldiers. And one day, as these teenage boys were getting ready to go off to battle, they had been trained for just a relatively short time. Winston Churchill gathered them around and gave them a five-minute speech. And the five-minute speech that he gave concluded with these words. Surely, from this period of 10 months, this is the lesson. Never give in. Never give in. Never, never, never. And nothing, great or small, large or petty. Never give in, except to conviction of honor or good sense. Never yield to the force. Never yield to the apparently overwhelming might of the enemy. Never give in. Don't you love that speech? Never give in. Don't quit. We're often tempted to throw up our hands and say, what's the use? Sometimes we need to spur one another on. I remember when we started the church, we were such a small, fledgling little congregation. Sometimes I ask myself, well, what's the use? Should I even show up at church this Sunday? And then I'd remember a couple I led to the Lord. I'd remember another family uh, who was expecting me to be there. And and one by one, these people were brought into my memory. And I remember, I've got to go because I've got people that are counting on me. You know, Abraham Lincoln said this, and I love this. If you will stiffen up your back and do the right thing, you'd be surprised to see how many people are waiting for you to stiffen up your back and do the right thing. And when you do the right thing, they want to follow you. They're just looking for somebody to take the lead. You're looking around, you think, well, everybody is hopeless. Our society is hopeless. I think God is expecting you to take that lead. And when you stand up for righteousness, you will be amazed to see how many people will come along and join you. So exhort one another, spur one another on with love and with good deeds. There's a fourth way in which we can remain hopeful, and that is by dedicating our time to worship. Hebrews 10.25, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. This consistency in meeting you know, there's a Christian philosopher by the name of William Lane Craig, and he argues that if God doesn't exist, there's no objective for right and wrong. All things are permitted. But he writes, the atheist, no, no the agnostic, they can live consistently with such a view of life. As Christians, we are called to live a consistent life. You see, if there's no rules, there's nothing right, nothing wrong— you don't have to be consistent. I mean, when's the last time anybody accused an atheist of being a hypocrite? They're not hypocrites because they have absolutely no rules, no objective for right and wrong. Everything's permitted. And I want to encourage you, because we have been born again, because we see the rightness of things and the wrongness of things, we should be consistent. We should be gathering together, not getting out of that habit because that is where inconsistency begins to creep in. That's where we lose the hope. You know, another thing I've noticed about an atheist is not only do they not have to live a consistent life, but they have absolutely no hope. No hope whatsoever. No hope for a future. 
No hope for the blessings of what can happen today. No hope at all. Can you imagine living a life with no hope? I want to encourage you, dedicate yourself to worshiping God corporately. Gather together every week with your church. Be faithful in going to church every single Sunday, every time the doors are open. Be consistent. You know, those are the strongest believers. Those are the most hope-filled believers. They are there every Sunday. You know why I'm there every Sunday? I don't want to miss what's happening. Uh, I'm afraid that I'm going to miss uh, a great movement of God, a great moment with God. And so I'm there every Sunday. So if your hope is beginning to diminish, it's probably related to a matter of inconsistency in the matter of worship. Well, number five, last but not least, okay? We're talking about a lot of things here today, but I want to drive home the point that if you are going to remain audaciously hopeful, you've got to have this desire to encourage. Now, the difference between encouragement and exhortation is this. An exhortation is spurring somebody along to get on the right track. They're drifting and they need somebody to bring them back. Maybe they're falling into sin. They need somebody to bring them back. And you're trying to do two things. You're trying to love them back, spurring them back, and then you're encouraging them to be involved in doing good deeds. Maybe they haven't been serving the way they should be serving, and so you spur them along. Encouragement, on the other hand, is you want to infuse into somebody who has lost their courage. Discouragement means I've lost my courage. Encouragement means I'm going to infuse you with courage. The challenging pressures of our society from time to time, a society that is so opposed to Christ can wear down even the strongest believer. That's why we need each other. That's why we're not called to live in isolation. I need you and you need me. You see, you bring a gift and I bring a gift and your gift is different than mine. Your strengths are different than mine. Your weaknesses are different than mine. But together we complement one another. So Paul says, Encourage one another, all the more as you see the days approaching. You know, I think about what we sometimes do is we we substitute some things. For example, when it comes to exercise. Now, I actually did this this past week, so here is an illustration that will hit very close, and I'll be very honest with you, right? I, in my mind, justified getting another piece of pumpkin pie with extra Cool Whip on top of it, okay? And the way I justified it is I said, well, I think what I'm going to do on Thanksgiving Day, I'm going to walk some extra steps so that I can have an extra piece of pumpkin pie. So that's exactly what I did. I walked several extra steps. Most days, I try to walk around 10,000 steps. That's my goal every day. And uh, that's close to five miles every day, okay? Uh, So I try to walk between four and five miles every day. That's my goal. Uh, But on Thanksgiving Day, I actually did about, uh, instead of 10,000 steps, I did 19,000 steps. And why did I do that? Because I'm thinking, hey, I did all these steps. I deserve an extra piece of pie. You know, they have found something really amazing when it comes to habits, right? Maybe you wear a Fitbit. Or if you're like me, I, I just have the app on my phone that keeps track of my steps. They discovered that those who count their steps, you know, using a Fitbit or some other device will not get any healthier because 
they oftentimes justify eating more because they're exercising more. And so they never lose weight. They're surprised to learn that these technologies are focused on physical activity, like taking steps and and getting your heart rate up. But then the wearers of these devices would say, oh, I exercise a lot today. Now I can eat more. And they eat more than they otherwise would have. You know, I've been walking for six months and I haven't lost a pound. And I'm like, why in the world have I not lost a pound? Because good health is not just in exercising. 85% of weight loss is because of a change of diet, not just exercise. So we need to encourage one another because we tend to get worn down. The Lord encourages us to lift one another up, be kind to one another, encourage one another. In Isaiah 65, it says the Lord was ready to respond but nobody asked for help. The Lord was ready to be found, but nobody was looking for him. And then Isaiah said, here I am. Here I am to a nation that did not call on his name. All day long, I opened my arms to a rebellious people, but they follow their own evil paths and their own crooked schemes. Today, would you encourage somebody Encourage them to have their faith on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. I'm one of the people that was very privileged to be raised in a Christian home. I think I was less than a week old the very first Sunday I went to church. My whole life I've been involved in church. I did spend a few years kind of drifting in my faith from the age of 15 to 21. But even then, I I was fairly consistent in going to church And uh, even though I was just going through the motions and basically checking off the box that I had been to church, one of the hymns that I remember singing as just a young guy in church was, On Christ the Solid Rock I Stand. It's one of the most well-known and popular hymns of the faith. We sing this song, and and this song, this hymn, is based on the passage of Matthew chapter 7. In Matthew chapter 7, it says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like that wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew against that house and beat against that house, yet it didn't fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down and the storms rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. Now this passage speaks about the importance of having a solid foundation in Christ. When we look at these two houses, they were identical. They appeared the same, same floor plan, uh, same uh, layout. From the outside, they looked alike. Most days, they responded alike. They did great until the storm came along. The storm didn't create a problem. The storm revealed a problem. The storm revealed that one was a solid foundation on rock. The other was a foundation on sand. For years, they could have stood side by side. 
They would have been okay until the storm came along. The storm revealed their foundation. You know, the same is true in our lives. You may look at your neighbor and you say, man, they live a very heathenistic life. And yet they appear to be blessed as much or more than I am. You see, they haven't faced a storm. When that storm comes, it will reveal their foundation. You see, this passage speaks about the importance of that solid foundation in Christ so that we can have the hope to weather the storms of life. The hymn on Christ the Solid Rock I Stand affirms this truth and encourages Christians to stand firm in their faith. This hymn was first published in 1835 by Edward Mote, an English Baptist minister. It quickly became popular among Christians of all denominations and has been translated into many languages. Today, it still remains as one of the most beloved hymns of the Christian faith. I'd like to, in the minutes that we have left, just read this hymn to you. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ a solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. The second verse says, When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. On Christ's solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. And let this third verse minister to your soul. As the preacher says, his oath, his covenant, his blood, support me in the overwhelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is my hope and my stay. On Christ a solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Oh, have you lost your hope today? Do you think that the future has no benefit for you? There's nothing that you're looking forward to? I want you to find hope in the second coming of Christ, where the fourth verse says, When he shall come with trumpet sound, Oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Oh, I want you to know, it doesn't matter how bad you've lived your life. God is a God of forgiveness. Isaiah 1 says, come now, let's settle this. Though your sins may be as scarlet, I will make them white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, I will make them white as wool. You know, I've discovered that when I'm involved in sin, I begin to lose my hope. I begin to battle bouts of depression and discouragement because I have unconfessed sins. Listen, the price has been paid for my forgiveness, but the fellowship is broken because of my sin. That's why 1 John 1.9 is such a wonderful verse. Listen, I want to encourage you to memorize God's Word. 
start with memorizing 1 John 1, 9. Now, this is written to believers. This is a promise that is given to us. This is not a promise given to unbelievers. This is given to those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. John says, 1 John 1, 9, if we, fellow believers, if we confess our sins, all right, to confess is to agree with God what he already knows about us. That lie you told, that thing you stole, that sexual sin you committed, God already knows about it. He's not up in heaven saying, I can't believe you did that one. Uh, that took me by surprise. No, no. If we confess our sin, he is faithful. We may not be faithful in refraining from sin, but God is faithful in forgiving us of our sins when we confess those sins. He is faithful, he is just, and he will forgive us of our sins. Please memorize that verse. First John 1 9. If we confess our sins, he will forgive us of our sins. He will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. My wife and I have been blessed. We have been married for almost 34 years. It amazes me to see how quickly the time has gone by. You know, I realize I'm getting older and, and I don't, I try not to dwell on it too much, but every once in a while, you ever run into an old friend, uh, maybe somebody you went into high school with, and and this rarely happens to me because I'm I'm so far moved from where I graduated from high school, but every once in a while, I run into a, an old college friend or an old high school friend, and it always amazes me when I see them. I said, my, they're looking kind of old. And then I look at the mirror and say, well, I'm looking kind of old too. And as you look at the aging process, if you want to have a life that is full of hope, it's not going to be based on the fact that you're not going to get older. You're going to get older. You can't get around that. Go ahead and enjoy the aging process, but spend time building those strong relationships. You know, from time to time, my wife and I, We'll occasionally have a, a a disagreement, and because of that disagreement, we're out of fellowship with each other. Oh, we're still married, but we're out of fellowship with each other. And how do we get back into fellowship? Well, we go to each other and we confess our sins. By that time of confession, we are reconciled together. We enjoy the company of one another, and it's such a sweet fellowship that we have. You know, those times where we're not getting along Oh, man, the relationship is strained. And sometimes we even get to the point where we're not talking to one another. And uh, it's a terrible place to be. I hate when my wife and I, I really hate it when we're not getting along well. But I love it when we're of one accord. You know, I've had to make some decisions here recently. And and I said, well, honey, I want you to pray about this, okay? Pray with me and pray for me in these decisions. And it's great to have a wife that can pray with you. Yeah, the Bible says where two or three are gathered in my name, I am in that midst. Jesus said, if two agree on earth on anything, it'll be done. That's why you need to have a godly spouse that will pray with you and pray for you so that when you've got to make decisions in life, whether it's buying a new house, buying a new car, taking a new job, uh, where to put the kids to school, where to go to church, whether or not to move, all these life-changing decisions, be of one accord. You know, when my wife and I were deciding to move to this area to start Hickory Ridge Community Church, about a year before it was time for us to move, I really felt the Lord leading us to move. 
but she wasn't quite ready. And, uh, and it wasn't that she was opposed to coming here. She just didn't feel like it was the right time. So I spent a year praying with her and having other people pray with us. And after 12 months of praying, miraculously, God opened the door for us to go. Now, I could have knocked that door down early, but I would have been out of fellowship with my wife. So I waited, just waited for us to be of one accord. I want to encourage you, if you're having a hard time and you need somebody to pray for you, would you give me a call? 252-267-2365. Maybe you're not comfortable talking to me. You say, I'd like to send you a text, okay? And you can shoot me a text at that same number, 252-267-2365. I will pray for you. If you want that prayer request to be put on our Thursday morning prayer call, I will do that for you. I will pray for you. I'll get 15 or 20 other people praying for you. You know, every time I have this a, a decision to make, every time I have something that needs to be prayed about, I have 20 people that I shoot out a text to, and they immediately pray for those requests. We'll pray for you. Every Thursday morning, 5 to 7, uh, we are praying. Would you submit your concerns to me today? 252-267-2365. Thank you so much for listening. God bless you. I look forward to talking with you tomorrow. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.